Okay, hello everyone. Welcome to this month's Coffee Chat. This is the month of May, and we have a large panel of people here to talk about all things Monero related. And so, uh, of course, like always, make sure to leave comments. We'll make sure to answer any questions that you have as long as we have time. We have a lot of people here that are willing to participate, um, but we're gonna start with introductions like we do always. So, my name is Justin. I am the, uh, the leader of the community work group, and it's just you know, a group of people that get together and want to improve Monero. This is one of the things that we do each month. Uh, and if we're just gonna go through, introduce everyone else. Uh, so let's begin first with uh, Diego. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Diego. Uh, I am known as Rarar in the community. I do website stuff. I do whatever I can get my hands on. I like doing all sorts of stuff, so design things and um, UX stuff, especially. So, uh, hey, glad to be here. Uh, I'm famous for my little rants, and if you're lucky, you won't get to hear one today. So, okay, thank you, Diego. Uh, Matthias, would you like to introduce yourself? Hey, yeah, I'm Matthias, uh, also uh, on IRC, known as Parasev. Uh, I run the Research Institute for Future Crypto Economics is called Riot. It's in Vienna, and I'm uh, the first time in the coffee chat as a participant. So I'm very happy to, to be with he, uh, here with you guys. So um, basically, I'm in Monero since, uh, I would say, 2015, but not actively as a developer or something. But I was observing a lot of um, developments. And in 2015, I was writing a paper which was titled uh, Cryptocurrencies as Distributed Community Exp uh, Experiments. And um, through that, I came to look at the different crypto node uh, papers and I was commenting on them in a, in, in a book. This is how I came to Monero in the first place. Um, currently, I'm also running the Monero Austria meetup. Uh, we are a lot of people. It's actually a very large meetup. And uh, yeah, it was uh, great. So at the initial uh, meetup, there was also Justin there. And we had a great meetup also last December where there was the binary fate and um, um, M2049R from Monerujo. And also a lot of other people there. Uh, also, there was a showcase of the Monero Open Hardware Wallet. We are currently also running a Monero workgroup in Vienna, where we are trying to communicate a little bit all the things that happen in the Monero projects to, to local developers. Also, trying to get like new devs to to get started with Monero. And we are also um, we were very active actually um, helping to make the CCC, the Chaos Communication Congress, part of the Monero happening last December. I know that some of you guys were there. And uh, we hope to actually continue this this year. And currently, I'm working on, a, on a, a journal. It's called Journal for Crypto Economics with a very strong privacy focus, um, together with my uh, other two colleagues, uh, Jaya, Cara, Brecke, and um, Rachel Rosalieri. So um, yeah, I'm happy to be here. And I'm happy to discuss with you and, and bring in some new and interesting insights from us also. Yeah, we're happy to have you here. I I was really pleased uh, with what you did out of the Vienna work, uh, the Vienna meetup group. Uh, I remember just showing up to speak. Uh, I was showed up to go to Vitalik's talk in February, I believe, uh, of last year, 2017. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I was really pleased to go to work with you with that. And of course, you have a great background that you've already advertised a few times to everyone in the community. Thanks, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks, Mateus. Um, let's see. Who is next on the list? Uh, Sarang, uh, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Hello, I am pseudonymous mathematician Sarang Nother, and I'm one of the two uh, full-time research mathematicians, along with Brandon, who appears below me in this list, for the Monero Research Lab. And I uh, work on math, and we uh, basically take new ideas that come in in crypto and do analysis on them, propose new ideas, um, take things like proposed attacks that come out, and run mitigations and do suggestions for development. So we we work hard, so you don't have to. Okay, thank you, Sarang. Uh, we've had you on a few other previous ones, so thanks for, again for coming on to this one. Uh, since we're on the topic of MRL, should we hop over to Brandon? Hi there, uh, can everybody hear me? Probably. Uh, I'm Brandon, um, I go under the pseudonym Saray. Uh, I've been, uh, thinking about Monero since 2014. Um, uh, right now, uh, Monero Research Lab, uh, me and Sarang, uh, Sarang, uh, together we, uh, 
basically read papers all day long and then try to produce some quality content that can improve Monero. Um, recently, uh, we've been thinking about uh, a couple of security issues around like things like churn, stuff like that. It's fun to talk about. Um, and I'm still working on the multi-sig paper, but I'm so close to being done. Yeah, it'd be good to finally get that out of the way. <laughs> and I'm sure you have that sentiment a lot more than I do since you're directly involved in it. Okay, yeah. Thanks uh, to our Monero Research Lab participants. Uh, how about XMR? Oh, I suppose. Scott, I do this every time. Can you introduce yourself, please, Scott? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fine. No worries. Yep, uh, I'm Scott. I go by XMR Scott. Um, my primary kind of participation in the community is either presentations here in the Phoenix Metro or um, currently I'm working on helping F organize that DEF CON uh, kind of project uh, we'll be at. So if you're going to be at DEF CON, feel free to check us out. We'll have a booth for like two days. It should be pretty awesome. Um, other than that, just random translation stuff. Yeah, you, you just had a meeting right before this, correct? Yep. Cool. So if anyone is interested in going to or to participate with the Monero community at DEF CON, uh, can you just give them a quick overview of how they can, wh where can they go to learn more? Um, yeah, so the easiest way to get the info is probably going to be if you go to the Monero-project uh, meta repository and you look up the issues we have um meetings defined as an issue and that should have the link and how to join our taiga group and our uh, mozilla hosted etherpad and all that fun stuff so okay. next meeting will be in two weeks so um and we meet in the the pound uh, monero dash community irc channel Okay. Thanks, Scott. You, you say pound, pound Monero community. I say hashtag. Uh, I mean the 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 old school kind of IT support group that I was part of. We used like IRC as like kind of a support uh, or intra communications, and they always said pound, so that's where I picked it up from. And I trust them because they're like old school hackers. But who knows? Maybe different people say different. The correct term is Octothorpe. If you want to be technical. <laughs> Of course, you would know that. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you, Scott, for that. Uh, so we still have uh, John Allen. Can you please introduce yourself? You've been at, I believe it was our first Monero Coffee Chat. So nice to see you back here again. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, well, I had a baby, so I've been out of the loop a little bit. Um, and I haven't got a, a you know, a grandiose repertoire of, uh, of things to talk about. I helped a little bit with the My Monero iOS uh, implementation. And um, I correct idiots on Reddit when they don't get fungibility. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just uh, like to contribute and just spend time, you know, uh, learning about the project. All right, thanks. Nice to see you again. Um, I need to take another trip back to Dublin at some point because for myself there. So good, good to meet you. Uh, it was good fun. <laughs> yeah. So even the kebab was nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Michael from the Hardware Wallet team is currently uh, having some issues getting their setup all configured. So hopefully you can have him on later so we can talk a little bit too. But I'm going to begin, I have a few topics. If anyone else has a topic, make sure to let me know. Uh, but I have a few topics I just wrote down. Uh, so first, we had uh, uh, we had the, right before last month's coffee chat, we had uh, the Monero protocol upgrade. And someone did research on the amount of key images that were actually reused across the different chains. I know this was a concern that we had when people would for narrow and then try to encourage people to claim funds uh, irrationally or recklessly. And they found that about 65% of the key images uh, were reused on the other chain. And that, that equaled about 30% of the total transactions on that chain. And then for Monero, it was about 9% of the total key images were reused and 2% of the total transactions were uh, 
poor involved. Um, so what does everyone think about this sort of proportion? I was actually a little surprised at how, uh, how low this was. Uh, does anyone else have any thoughts on these numbers? I do. Oh, okay, I do. Um, so, <laughs> I'm sure that Sarang also or Sarang also has a similar thought or a, an interesting set of thoughts on this. But here's the problem: is that this is these numbers are going to get worse over time, right? And this is like the first bang <laughs> of it, and um, it's like a um, if you think of it in terms of like a propagation of behavior through a population, what you see is a small percentage, like 10% or so of Monero keys uh, are unwilling to really maintain their privacy in the first week. Um, so what is that going to mean for the first year? Or it's, and what is that going to mean for future hard forks? I'm not so sure. Um, it, it's actually really worrying to me. Um, I don't know what thoughts other people have, and I would really like to hear them. But isn't it, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not as versed in the math as you guys would be in MRL, but isn't it the case that over time, uh, the anonymity set kind of rejuvenates nearly because, you know, if you know what I'm saying, what, what is it? I thought it was okay over time. No? Uh, so yes and no. So if you think of it as, um, people coming into a room and, uh, and then leaving the room, the question is, is how fast are they coming in and how fast are they leaving? And so if the economic activity is going to be sufficient to sustain a low grade drain of privacy resources, so to speak, out of Monero, uh, out of Monero, then we're going to be fine. And if not, the room is going to get empty really fast. So, um, yeah. Okay. So and if, these if, types if, of things like, are, are growth, uh, increases over time. We'll be okay. But if we stagnate, then we're, we have a problem, right? Uh, right. And here's the thing is in the next year, I don't really anticipate the cryptocurrency market to just die. Um, so I think at least for a while, we're going to be fine. I don't know about the next couple of forks, though. Like I also think forks. it's I also think it depends on how many kind of scam forks we get. You know, I mean, V was, I think, kind of the first big public one that everyone's like, oh, my God, someone's forking Monero. This is a thing. But, you know, now you've got Monero classic and original and zero and I don't know, diet vanilla Monero or whatever. I'm convinced eventually anything that could be a Coca-Cola product will eventually be a Monero name. But I think eventually you just kind of get saturation and then the the magnitude of people's interest, I think is just going to fade over time. I mean, there was kind of some joking comments earlier that like we should just come up with our own host of scam forks just to pollute the environment. Which so I was kind of a joke, but at the same time, it's like, that's interesting. You know, it's, I think a lot of it has to do with kind of the economics of people's interest in it. And eventually when people realize that these are not great for privacy, if done at large scale, really fast. And, you know, eventually if exchanges say like, no, these are dumb, we're not going to be supporting these, there'll be very little incentive for people to go for it. Okay. So I'm, I think I'm much less concerned about it only because Monero V I think was kind of the first big one. And then now there's a bunch of copycats, which I think if anything have done, maybe doing us a lot of good in that regard. Yeah, so I had a question come in in the chat. It says, can we just explain the key image reuse issues for a layman? And uh, does anyone from MRL want to take that's, take a stab at a 30 seconds or less explanation of what the key image issue is? I'm going to let Sarong try to do this. Okay, so I mean, when you make a transaction, right, you pull in a bunch of other mix-ins besides the true spender. Um, but we have to know that you have a double spent funds. So the actual true spender is associated with this kind of irreversible so-called key image. And you can't look at a key image and tell where it came from, but if someone were to try to spend the same funds twice, the key image would be the same. So we can detect duplicates and then we know that something fishy is going on. Um, but if you try to claim something on another fork, you basically are using the same key image. And because we choose those ring mix-ins randomly, you end up with two rings that will probably intersect at exactly one input. And you know that that input would have to be the true spender. Um, so basically, by spending, go ahead. Sorry, it's worth pointing out that um, when you do something like this, what you're doing is you're identifying one of our stealth addresses as a true spender. As your user key, it's going mm -hmm. to remain private. So you don't really yeah. have, I mean, you kind of have to worry because your one time key has been revealed as spent, um, but uh, your user key is still secure. 
Yeah, that's that's very true. Basically, you're identifying like the particular spend that happened as being the address that was used. But you're right. There's there's no problem because stealth addresses are irreversible and you can't get back to your original wallet address. But basically what you're doing is by doing that, you're just hurting your own anim anonymity. And once an input has been identified as spent, if that input appears in other rings, then we know that that can't possibly be the case, right? Because we know that that input was only spent when you did that spend. So it, it that part kind of gets a little bit confusing, but the idea is that if it happens fast enough based on the way that we choose mix-ins, um, then it can contribute to very subtle reductions in anonymity for other users. So it's bad for you and it's not great for others. But it is worth noting that that kind of propagating effect for other users is very much kind of time and volume based um, because we tend to choose more recent mix-ins more often as fakes because that's the way that people tend to spend their funds. So as things get older and older, this becomes less and less relevant. But, but it is worth noting that because this is the blockchain, these th this, this break in your anonymity is forever there. It is always there. You know, it's permanent. And, uh, you know, this becomes the, the whole propagation and affecting other people's anonymity becomes less of a thing as time goes on. And as we increase ring size, which hopefully we should be able to do with the uh, coming of bulletproofs in September. Uh, but you should always, always, always know that when, if you choose to do this and if you choose to accept something, you're saying, okay, I am identifying this output forever, end of story. You know what I'm saying? So uh, <clears throat> just that to, uh, to keep in mind because some people, I don't know, because now with blockchain analysis tools, they're, you know, they're going back in time with Bitcoin blockchain and stuff. And they're saying, okay, what came Back then, when Bitcoin first launched, there wasn't these analysis tools because blockchain was too new. But now that tools exist, you know, they can go back and see, okay, this and this and this was belonged to this person or these people. And the, the tools will only improve. And, you know, just, just as Monero Link showed, okay, before Ring CT, there were weaknesses. There may be new tools that come out that can help de-anonymize different Monero transactions at ring size three, ring size five, just as time goes on. This is just a reality. And ultimately why we want to move away from ring signatures and stuff to begin with into something a little more robust. But um... Well, this also brings up the idea of churn as well, which is something we've been thinking about, which is where you basically just send funds to yourself one or more times to kind of obscure those funds more and more and like this big kind of growing tree of fake ring mix-ins. Um, and the idea of, you know, to what extent is that useful? How many times should you do it, if at all? You know, just because of the uh, the implications on costs, is something that we're kind of, that we're really actively looking into, um, especially with the idea of 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 ways that someone could kind of do a controlled spend with a merchant and then kind of try to follow that through time. Granted, like ring signatures still do a really good job of obfuscation, but you know, as has been mentioned, you know, if you if you go about revealing inputs for whatever reason. Um, then, you know, you're basically reducing subtly the size of the anonymity sets that we have available. So it's something we're looking into. I mean, ring signatures aren't broken in the sense that, like, they mathematically still give you technically a guarantee that any non-identified input could be the true signer. Um, but we're always looking into these new style attacks, which are basically heuristics, saying, if I look at, like, a giant sample of transactions, can I identify things, can I identify things that are often true about them? Which is worth saying, like, don't actually identify anything about a particular transaction but we don't want to give people any advantages. What about the mitigations that were put in by Mu? Uh, I didn't look into them, but the, what was it? Shared. Something? Yeah. yeah, so we have a shared ring DB thing going on right now with the wallet so that we share the database of rings that have been used from other blockchains with our users so that they can be sure to use the same ring for their ring signatures, which is a nice little utility. And Justin is also working, if I recall correctly, on the on the blackballing list of trying to find outputs that have been provably spent and trying to prevent people from using those as mix-ins for their rings because they don't actually improve your ring size. Um, that blacklist, does it? A certain, mix, a certain uh, output as a potential mix-in effectively? Uh, yeah, so if I if I can look at the Monero blockchain and I can see that an output has been provably spent, I should never use it as a ring ring mix in ever again, because it's been spent. There's no ambiguity being added by including them into the anonymity set. Um, so, yeah, and it's worth noting that this is a temporary, well, not a temporary. This is a short term 
solution to the problem. And so like we should never be like, okay, well, this is solved. Because ultimately, uh, assuming these types of things just continue and continue, this is not sustainable in terms of keeping an updated blacklist for everybody all the time. Uh, we ultimately Correct. want to try to find things that will solve this problem permanently. But for now, it's it's a it's a good way to temporarily uh, mitigate this, some of this stuff. Um, one one idea I had recently uh, was essentially that you know if we want to uh, try to make sure that the Monero V uh, airdrop fork is actually worth like nothing, what we can do is do another airdrop fork off of Monero V, setting the block height lower, so that every output that has been spent already in Monero V in a reckless way can then be reclaimed again on yet another fork so that these people who are greedy and who are uh, totally dumping their Monero onto Monero or they're dumping their Monero V, they're going to be like, oh, I can claim like 10 more forks, dude. And it won't actually add any threat to our security model because they're just going to be dumping even older outputs, um, which they probably already dumped on the Monero, Monero V uh, fork. But that's just like a random little shower thought I had. I like that. That's really, really good. It's good. Yeah, and just and devalue I, their currency. <laughs> and I and, yeah, and when hilarious. these things when these things come up, I always like to mention that like there are several things that work together to keep transactions safe. One of which is stealth addresses, which is that recipients are not tied technically to their wallet addresses, and that's completely unaffected by this. There's the idea that amounts are kept private, which adds a certain amount of fungibility, and that's completely unaffected by this. So all this basically ends up giving us is a a slight improvement for some people to the probability of having a one-time output be possibly identified. Right, and, and it's also worth noting that identifying an output does not necessarily identify a human sender. So let, let's say you have not touched um, uh, a KYC AML exchange, you got your Monero from like local Monero or something. This enables tracking outputs across the blockchain, but outputs do not equal uh, people. Right. Um, but I mean, if at any point in time, like the majority of people, honestly, if we're being real, they have used a KYC AML exchange. They are potentially, if they're going to receive this Monero, uh, take it out through this, through something similar uh, and not through something like local Monero. So that that will uh, contribute to de-anonymization. Um, but if you don't touch those types of things and you follow best privacy practices and have good OPSEC, like it, you can track an output, but you can't necessarily track people. Yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely something to be said about giving away your name, address, and personal information to an organization that could certainly, you know, have, have its records taken by powerful adversaries. Yeah, so, just, I mean, it's, it's something to keep in mind. Like, if that's the level of privacy you need, you probably shouldn't be doing that anyway. Yeah, um, I'm going to jump in real quick and just explain blackballing a little bit because uh, if, if someone's a, a kind of confused with all these different attack vectors, just think back to the simplest one, which is zero mixin or zero decoy, where you just send a transaction without any members in your ring signature. The only the, the only reason you would remove the mathematical probability through deduction where ring signatures would not be effective is if you're able to know that these outputs were un like unquestionably spent in another transaction. And so these are just different attacks or different ways of determining that this is happening. So the key image reuse is one example where someone might clearly show that their output is being spent as is being spent in that transaction because it's the only only method that makes sense. Or similarly with mining pools, if they announce all their Coinbase transactions and they also publish all their transaction list, clearly you're not the one spending it. If the Coinbase transaction appears in a transaction that's not on the pool list, you know that that's a fake, you know it's a decoy, you know it's not the real output spent. And so there's a lot of situations this uh, like, like this that we're kind of looking into to try and include in the blackball list and also make it work a little bit better uh, because it's currently pretty inefficient and hard to use. Um, as I've noticed, um, as I try to use it, but it's, that, that's sort of, the, sort of the whole situation is you just want to make sure that the outputs are as, as pure as possible. And if you know that they are essentially known to be spent, then you want to, you want to ignore them. Or in this case, we term the name blackball. That's the sort of situation there. Um, so now, uh, Michael, uh, Michael said that he wants to try. It still says that you are 
muted and your uh, webcam is off. But if you want, we can give it a try now. Uh, so Michael, hand it over to you to try and see if uh, <laughs> see if you can join us. Um, yeah, Michael, I still think it's having issues, unfortunately. Okay. So, yep. Yeah. So sorry, Michael. If you could, we'll, we'll um. Yeah, we'll let you know if we can see your video or if uh, or if it reports you as unmuted on our end, okay? So, uh, Mateus, uh, you sent me some information before, um, some things you wanted to highlight about uh, what you're doing in Vienna. Uh, can you explain a little bit about what you're doing with the Monero work group in Vienna and also what you're doing to help support DevCon? Yeah, for sure. Um, so basically, uh, uh, Dimi, so M 2049 from uh, um, Monarujo is also now, uh, as he's as, as in Vienna, um, joining us. And we plan to a little bit uh, um, have a sort of um, regular um, way of um, working on specific tasks that are up and out there for the community. Uh, first and foremost, there are a few tasks with Monarujo, obviously, but also with a few other things. There's a lot of discussion now on this on this Ruby game and about all a lot of small uh, tasks around the community and especially we wanted to work a little bit on optimizing the website. There was um, the Monero website, uh, get Monero on. There was a lot of um, attempts like early days and I think a few people jumped into this as well. Um, especially um, I was uh, contacted by a few developers that didn't find the libraries that are, um, for example, is an event uh, um, part now. So there's a lot of um, lot of things we could work on. So we thought about. Um, having a kind of a regular meeting, which mainly would actually bring together the other people that uh, were also present at the CCC in Leipzig and other people that are local, but also communicate this through the RC and see how we can actually uh, understand and, and organize a little bit better the, all the community efforts. For the um, events such as the CCC, but now more prominently the, the DEF CON, there is a lot of things to do. So um, there will be a village. Um, um, Michael was setting it up, and also there was a lot of discussion before on the RC. Uh, so we will, and we want to prepare a little bit also material. Last uh, time at the CCC, there was um, Pablo Nero with his posters and Nero Cat uh, prints and, and stickers and whatnot. So um, we're trying to organize that there will be enough uh, material there, but also maybe to see if we can um, outline a few actual tasks that could be done there because. Um, what I find is like it's always a uh, very different quality when people meet and when they are like sitting together and working on specific tasks. Um, uh, also, people meet face to face for the first time. It's it's sometimes very interesting, especially um, at the CCC. This was a very good experience to see how dedicated people are. I think it's also um, it was very nice to see also for the um, on the open hardware team that um, there's a lot of other hardware hackers and people that are working with hardware that are not necessarily in the Monero project yet, and so it's like. Helping in a way to 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 work together and like be, being like physically like like I'm 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 tangibly located at the same location in order to work out things. That's what we're trying to do with the work group. It's it's sometimes a little bit complicated to get all people um, really together at this one specific time because through that um, RC and distributed working, it, which works in most of the times. But we are like really trying to get this kind of um, a more hands-on thing where we're meeting and like um, discussing through things. Going and um, especially like that, also trying a few formats that could work for the for the DevCon. So um, there will be also a, um, a larger meetup again, which is on the 26th uh, to 28th of uh, uh, July. Um, I just confirmed this also with with Michael and some other people from the uh, Monero Open Hardware uh, team. So we will um, host them in Vienna. So if other people are interested in joining, we also um, have a few flats where people can stay, and we want to make sure that there's um, also. Um, um, a larger meetup happening and a, um, and a few like um, events where we're um, looking into um, fixing a few issues or open things that are that we can actually work on or communicating uh, um, all these sort of things. So it's the 26th to uh, 28th of, of uh, July, and I will um, again also post this obviously in the um, um, Monero Reddit or uh, in the Monero community Reddit, and uh, for sure in the uh, Monero um, meetup group, the Monero Austin meetup group. But yeah, so I guess also an RC. So we have so much channels. At the same time, it's confusing sometimes for some people. Yeah. Uh, Justin, you're muted, buddy. Uh, unmute yourself. There you go. Yeah. No, still can't hear you, man. 
Yeah, my bad. My bad. That was me. Cool. Um, so, uh, can you speak a little bit about, uh, Mateus, can you speak a little bit about the type of people that go to the events in Vienna? Are they people you typically also see at the Ethereum meetups or the other events that you have? Or are they typically uh, people that are showing up independently just for the Monero events? Can you speak a little bit about the, the dynamic that goes to these events? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, Justin, you were at one of the, uh, it was the first Monero meetup here in Vienna, and um, it somehow grew since then a lot. So, I mean, right, we're doing like a lot of uh, meetups, but we, we're trying to um, make sure that it's um, very developer based. So, it's like usually people that, that are really deep, um, um, creating specific uh, solutions and wanting to, to um, communicate also their efforts and their, their projects to the, to the groups. Um, the people would be, I would consider them interesting, interested people in the, in the crypto context, but not necessarily only developers that are coming to these meetups. Uh, usually um, a lot of students from technical university, but also um, researchers. I would say, um, yeah, there's a lot of artists, so like um, multimedia uh, like people <laughs> or like with, with not the strong technology background that are interested. And I think the, the important thing would be to make sure or to actually offer a space where these people can also interact and learn and understand also specific uh, technological basics in order to, to bring in the, the expertise. Oh, hi, Michael. <laughs> so uh, Michael was also here at the space uh, um, and I'm happy that, that we see him now. Actually, maybe he can also explain a little bit how it worked out uh, for the um, open hardware um, uh, wallet team, actually, in this in this kind of space that we're setting up here. So basically, um, the Riot space is a uh, 300 square meters old photo studio kind of industrial space. And we um, somehow, um, you can consider that sort of a hacker space context or something, but it's um, mainly um, crypto-related things that happen here. I hope that answered your question also a little bit. Thank Should you. We, yeah, thanks. Should we try to see if Michael can also? Answer? Yeah, I think let, let's try, Mike. So it's Michael still says that you're muted, but uh, we can see you now. You know, <laughs> just just seeing just seeing his face is enough. Oh, he says he can't hear anything either. Oh no, he didn't hear my compliment. Okay, that's so sad. Well. Michael, if you watch this later, just know that, that your face speaks volumes and it says everything that you need to say for you. Uh, I think, uh, so we had Alex just join us. Alex is from Local Monero. Um, Alex, do you want to introduce yourself? And uh, is there anything you want to mention? Uh, hi, I'm Alex from Local Monero, as I've been... <laughs> introduced by Justin. Thanks for introducing me. Um, I, I, I just joined the conversation right now, so I don't really have anything to say. Are, are you guys discussing anything in particular? Uh, we started off with key image reuse again, and then we moved on to talking about uh, the, Vienna meetup, the Monero meetup in Vienna. Um, and then now we have like a, a cut to, I suppose, whatever else. Um, uh, yeah, we're actually discussing the only thing that matters is which is the price of Monero. I mean, if we if we can't increase if we can't increase the price of Monero to make us all rich, what are we even doing here, honestly? <laughs> so. Okay, I have a very good strategy for increasing the price of Monero. So what I'm what I'm going to do right now, I'm going to open the local Monero database. And I'm just gonna rack up all the prices way up. And that way <laughs> it'll affect the entire market. And, that, and we can all become rich right after that. Okay. You shouldn't say that out loud. The SEC might come find you. The SEC won't let me be, or won't, won't let <laughs> me be me. So let me see. <laughs> And uh, just Alex, I know you mentioned a few coffee chats back that you were talking about payment IDs and hopefully trying to get rid of them. I think now would be a perfect time to start that conversation with the uh, development community now that we're... These, these payment IDs are just driving us absolutely insane inside the company. We are getting so many tickets with people just not including their payment IDs. And, and 
Now, the, one of the biggest um, exchanges, uh, Bit T Rex, Bittrex. I don't know how you pronounce it. It's the stupidest name ever. Uh, they are now de demanding that people provide, um, if they forgot to specify the payment ID, they, they, they ask people to provide a transaction key or a spend proof in order to prove the, the deposit. And I'm for the past week, I'm just trying to explain to them that simply having the transaction hash and, and the exact amount is already enough because this isn't Bitcoin where you can see everything. The only reason you would know the exact amount of a transaction is, is if you were the one who's sending the transaction. And, and they just don't seem to get it. I, I've, I've, I've talked to their, I, I've sent an email to their CEO. I, I've, I've asked Fluffy to, to try to reach them. I, I've asked a bunch of people in IRC to try to reach them and, and they're still not getting the message. I, I'm so tired of this payment ID. I really want to start this thing on GitHub. And I, I'm probably gonna do that in, in the next few days. I'm, we just have a little other priority that we're, we're dealing with right now. But as soon as that's over with, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly gonna raise this question, unless there's something else that's actively being discussed right now. Just to quickly interrupt, I would totally suggest kind of raising it potentially at the dev meeting, perhaps during like the open section, especially since it's tomorrow morning, or well, morning my time but basically in 24 hours, so. Do you need an invite to, to, to get into the dev session? Uh, well, I mean, it's an IRC session, so I'll, I'll post the link in um, for the, the meta issue in Pound Monero community. Or I could probably just do it that, actually. Yeah, yeah you just hop on, you hop on so, Freenode. So, so that's, that's the meeting. Um, but yeah, I would totally just raise it at the dev meeting, because it's, Something that you, as a local, well, not local per se, but but as a business owner, can definitely give a lot of insight into more so than say like me trying to raise it in the dev meetings. Yes, so. I agree. Serang is is uh, oh never mind. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's, they're completely open. This is for anyone listening as well. You are more than welcome to hop onto Octothorpe. Monero dash dev. <laughs> Octothorpe is hashtag for the people who were not here earlier. Yeah, if you just joined us, that we were corrected. It's called an Octothorpe, not a hashtag or a pound. Uh, for in this instance, I guess. Uh, come to the dev meetings. At the very least, if you if you don't want to say anything, just just see. And this is really sorry to make a tagline here on the fly. This is the. Monero difference, okay, is that we do everything in the open for everyone to see, and and everyone is welcome to contribute to the process, to voice an opinion, you know, as long as you're not derailing conversations or anything. Th this is what separates Monero from the rest of the space, is that we don't have official anything. It's just a bunch of people who care about privacy, who care about fungible currency, getting together to try to make it a reality. So please do come. Yes. All right, Michael, I'm going to give you one last chance. <laughs> so. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> no. you, unmuted, you unmuted yourself, but there's no audio going through. No, Michael, wow. It's incremental progress, right? First we had nothing, and then we had the mute and no video. And then we had the video muted. Yeah. Anyone, yeah, anyone who claims that Monero is too centralized, just look at how we're trying to get this to work together. We're, we're using an open source tool for something that none of us can get to work properly. Uh, the last one was literally me just running a screen capture. There's not too much professionalism about that, so... Uh. <laughs> professionalism is for scrubs honestly it's it, it, people just need someone to point fingers at and blame when things go wrong and we're not trying to be professional here we're trying to, we're trying to change the world and the two often are on opposite ends of the spectrum diego is a fantastic dude when it comes to branding <laughs> <laughs>
Diego is really pushing that um, message of uh, state subversion and uh, the unity within the Monero community through its decentralization. So I, I have a one, I, I guess I have two questions for MRL if we're ready to uh, move on topics. So the first is uh, if you're using the Monero Blackball database, does that work if you have a, if you're using a remote node or does that work only if you have both of the full nodes running on your computer? And then the second question, I heard you speak about refund transactions. This seems to be what, uh, uh, what uh, Serang has spent a lot of time on recently. So I'd love to hear you talk about like, what is the case for refund transactions and how are they different than, I don't know, like two out of three multi-sig? Because I don't really know. So I'd love to hear your, your answers to that. Yeah, so for refund transactions, this is actually something that we've kind of been thinking about for a while. Um, I'll tell you kind of what we learned about it and then why we care about it. So we were recently funded to, um, Brandon and I, to go up to an IEEE workshop on blockchain privacy and security in London. And uh, there were several talks that were actually really interesting for Monero, one of which talked about kind of ways that a remote node could turn evil and what implications that would have, which we don't really consider to be anything anything big or new, right? You know, if you're trusting someone else's node to give you information, then you have to trust them. Um, and then another one was about um, kind of describing rings, which is a paper that we had seen before that isn't quite ready for prime time. Um, but in between talks, which seems to be when all the real magic happens at conferences, uh, we talked with a Purdue researcher, um, and he and his student were working on a way to kind of rejigger the way we do ring signatures and key images. And this would allow us to basically do what we're, we would call a refund transaction. Um, and so the idea is kind of in its simplest form, you know, maybe I want to send you a payment, but I want to make sure that if you don't claim that within a certain time, and time meaning block height, um, then I get those funds back. And this is pretty straightforward to do if you don't hide anything, which of course we do, um, because then the protocol could just say, well, you know, those funds aren't spent and I can see that they aren't spent, so the money goes back to you. But we can't do that because we can't technically prove spends in Monero. So there's a few ways you might want to do that. Um, ways that I've seen that involve two or three multi-sig, it kind of imply that you have kind of an interactive thing going on, um, either between you and the recipient or you and the recipient and kind of some arbiter who's a third party. Um, but all of them that I've seen require it to be interactive. And if I send you the funds and then you suddenly disappear and I don't want to trust another arbiter, then we have to have a way for the protocol to be able to handle this automatically. And currently the best way that we know how which is by no means perfect and we're still working it out, is the idea of this so-called refund transaction. So the idea is instead of just sending one output to you, I basically send one output to you and then one output for the same amount to me. And I construct those in such a way that they actually share a common key image. And this basically this prevents you from claiming the funds in a way that other people can't necessarily tell they've been spent. And then me later also trying to claim the funds, which is effectively a double spend. And there's a lot of kind of really tricky things involved in making sure that this key image plays nicely with a bunch of the other things that we're doing. Um, but the idea is basically that you could do, if we get it working correctly, um, you could do a refund transaction that's non-interactive. And while kind of just the base refund idea might seem like it's not terribly useful, I mean, how often do you want to be able to do just a one-on-one -on -one refund? Um, but it has a lot of implications for payment channels. So if you want to do kind of off-chain payment stuff, one of the ways to do it is to is to basically set up a refund transaction that pays to a multi-sig address. And the idea there is that all the off-chain stuff with the multi-sig address happens, and then later it kind of gets settled back on the main chain. Um, but you want to make sure that if one of the other parties basically just goes away or the protocol otherwise goes awry, that those funds get back to you. And again, we hide a bunch of stuff on the blockchain, so we need a way to do that securely and correctly. And that's where the refund transaction would come in. So it's kind of a building block that we would need for a lot of other ideas involving non-interactive payment channels. It is still under active development. Maybe it's going to work. Maybe it won't. There's a lot of other implications involved with having this weird like two output setup um, that we want to make sure we do safely and securely. But it's really interesting new research, and it's something we didn't think we'd be able to do. Um, but now at least there is an option, whether or not it's the option that we go with. It's worth pointing out that it's it's uh, kind of brilliantly simple, right? I mean, basically all we're doing is changing Monero transactions so that they can have two output addresses and there's a trigger block height mentioned so that if you're before that block height, you use the first one. 
And if you're after that block height, you use the second one. And that's pretty much all there is to the refund transactions until you don't want that block height observable by a clever adversary. And um, unfortunately, that becomes a pretty difficult problem pretty fast. Um, it's fun, though, and that's what we get paid for. So, um, yeah. yeah. Regardless of whether or not we use it, there will probably be a paper coming out um, co-authored between um, some of the MRL folks and these Purdue researchers because it is still really interesting cryptography, whether or not we end up using it. And that's part of the research we do. Most of the stuff that we look at doesn't end up making it into the code base for one reason or the other. Um, but this one looks like it's at least a really good step in the right direction. So are we modeling, are we modeling our multi-sig implementation on the current, um, you know, the, the status quo of all of the competing cryptocurrencies? Because a lot of the others have multi-sig as well. Uh, Sarang, do you want to take that one? Um, it's kind of your baby, I would okay. say. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, my cat distracted me. Can you repeat the question? <laughs> I'm so sorry. Sure. I just I know that the cryptocurrencies have multi-sig, um, and I'm wondering if our implementation will be similar to those others. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, um, actually, this paper came out recently in December. Uh, actually, I think it was formally published in February, um, but I learned of it in uh, like Jan on January sixth or something. Um, Musig this key aggregation multi-sig approach for Bitcoin. And um, we are going, our initial key multi-sig uh, setup that is currently used by, I think at least some wallet software, uses a key uh, computation technique that uh, all the participants have to sign with the key that they're participating with. And so that way you can't really cheat and try to cancel other people's keys. Um, unfortunately, that protocol involves a, interaction between the users. Um, Musig, the Bitcoin one, is a non-interactive key generation protocol, and it's immune to key cancellation attacks without this like weird signature setup. So we're probably gonna be switching to the key generation for Bitcoin, but the actual protocol of computing the ring signature multi-sig is completely unique to our ring signature setup because um, anytime that you take a, a signature algorithm and you want seven people to participate, you need to does kind of take like a one person version of that algorithm and split it up into seven and then add things together. And as a consequence, it's very, very sensitive to the structure of the signing algorithm. Um, doing a multi-sig setup for like Bitcoin is relatively straightforward. Everybody shares some secrets and adds them together and you're done. Um, from ring signatures, since we have to have a little bit of a secret for each uh, ring member, and then you also need a secret from each participant in the signature. What you end up with is a whole big matrix of secrets that need to be added together in a weird way. It makes the algebra really kind of annoying, but as a consequence, well, there's a lot of things annoying about it. Right now, um, proving that the setup is unforgeable, I'm like, this close to finishing, and I know exactly how it's supposed to proceed, and it almost proceeds exactly like the music setup, but worse, <laughs> like a lot, a lot uglier and bigger. So I think um, I may have to end up putting this proof into like an appendix, which is going to be this really massive thing. So your initial question was, um, are we just going to be following the implementation of other cryptocurrencies? And the answer is we can't because we use ring signatures. And I definitely overexplained that. And I think it's also worth noting that when everyone's like, oh my God, where is the multi-sig paper? You know, we have something that works, but it is very, very common in this space for people to be like, I made a thing and I don't know a way to break it. So therefore we must be fine. And that is not the way that formal mathematics works. So proofs of security are essential and necessary for safe implementation. And that's what we want to get right. And if you've ever read such papers, you know that they are extremely complex and really, really irritating, but they provide guarantees beyond what I see in a lot of other projects. So. Anytime someone comes to me and they're like, what about this cool new idea? And you're like, where is the security proofs? And they're like, the what? <laughs> and then I stop listening. So we're doing the work of the gods is what we're doing. I have a super, super quick question if I could for the MRL guys. By the way, I just want to point out that uh, I think you know the work you do is absolutely stellar. And uh, I've been really impressed with it. And I think that uh, it's what separates us from the shit. Um, you know, having kind of academic guys 
as well as of course the work that Moo does and the work that uh, Anonymous does on Calvary, but particularly I think the MRL is one of our greatest assets. Um, just harking back to what we said earlier on about the key image reuse issue, just I don't want to discuss the whole thing because I, I understand why it's an issue and I understand what the problems are. But are, are you guys like quite fearful about that going forward? I, I know you've kind of uh, Surrey expressed earlier on a little bit of uh, worry about it. Do you feel that it genuinely is maybe the biggest threat to the currency right now? Um, I'm a little worried more, not so much about the technology, but about people's attitudes about how cavalierly they threw away their Monero private keys. It's not so much the privacy implications of that one event. It's the attitude of the community in that regard. Um, so uh, having said that, um, there are some ways in which... Okay, so there's two ways that I can phrase this, right? Um, Monero is as private as cash at the very least. If somebody wants to like track what you're doing, they have to like be writing down serial numbers and they have to be doing controlled purchases through you and stuff like that. Um, can the technology be improved? Absolutely. Is that, uh, you know, so uh, I'm, I'm worried more about like uh, the um, idiocracy effect as Monero gets bigger and more popular that we see with Ethereum. Um, no offense to the Ethereum crowd and my pseudonym's surname has nothing to do with Ethereum, um, but uh, I'm really more fearful about the idiocracy effect of a large popular currency than I am about how dangerous the technology is. And um, there arguably could be some improvements coming soon to make our anonymity sets, our ring sizes, significantly larger. Um, but I'm not directly working on that and I don't know details about what's going on there. So we're work, we're kind of working on it. Um, we know of people who are working on it and so on and so forth. So not super worried about the tech, more worried about the attitudes. Thanks. Right. I mean, part of why we end up increasing our ring sizes over time is basically to kind of subtly account for the fact that, you know, maybe some people are going to, to do things poorly. Um, I think as far as like anonymity technologies go, they are currently the best way to do it that does not involve trusting a central party. So I think that they are by far not going to be the final answer, but I think that they are the best answer that we have right now, given kind of the ideology of the community, which is, you know, we don't want to have to trust, you know, a, a group of people like what was done in Zcash, for example. You know, they have much better anonymity if done correctly, but also if the trusted parties are trusted. And when you when you can take your cell phone and compute like a zk Stark uh, transaction, um, then great, you can do that. But right now, that's not that's not a reality, right? Yeah, I mean, I too look forward to being done with ring signatures because you know there are a lot of annoyances with them. Um, I'm not I'm not. I mean, I'm not hugely worried about things, um, but I would like to get rid of them because they would be far less irritating. We wouldn't have to you know keep on kind of proactively increasing ring sizes and working on black balls, which are good mitigations. You know, but they are, I think, not the final answer. Yeah. Are we still are we still aiming to have uh, bulletproof sim by the, by the end of the year in, in mainnet? Um, yeah. If you want, I can briefly mention that um, we have two of the three auditing groups working right now. The other one will be starting. I have to actually look up when Benedict Bunce is going to be starting his work. Um, but we're on track to have the the code review finished in time for doing a code freeze for implementation, provided everything goes as well as we expect. Fantastic. Well done. Yeah. So life's good. So that will be able to reduce, um, I mean, it'll definitely reduce transaction sizes hugely. You know, there's still talk about whether or not, you know, people would be more interested in allowing for bigger ring sizes because we have all the saved space or if we prefer to just keep things small um, in order to make things more economical. Those are all debates and arguments we can have. But It's also worth pointing out that um, our annoyances with ring signatures is not because ring signatures suck in general. I think they're actually kind of a beautiful construction and they'd be very useful for applications that might not be involving cryptocurrencies. Um, uh, but yeah, they don't, they don't suck in general. They just kind of suck for cryptocurrencies. They provide, they provide exactly the mathematical guarantees that we claim they provide. And so there you go. If people want to make heuristics on what they think might be the true spender in a ring signature, okay, you can try that, but you know, you have no, well, no, the thing is you have no guarantees, you know, when, when, you, when these Monerolink papers came out and said, oh my God, the first, I mean, the most recent input that we see is probably the true spender. It's like, yeah, but that's nothing you can prove for a given transaction. You know, we still have all these ring signature guarantees, you know, regardless of these heuristics that people come up with. 
So, and that's something a much kind of broader meta discussion about yeah. privacy than maybe we want to have here. When you're churning and you send your own funds back to you the same wallet again and again, is it is it the case that you get a different key image each time and therefore uh, each ring signature looks completely different? Um, yes, no you do. So it's it's basically tied to outputs. And as you generate a new output, then you basically generate a new key image for that. The concern with things that could kind of counteract churn is that if someone makes, a, if a, say the government makes a controlled purchase with a vendor that they know is doing illicit things, they can make controlled purchases so they know what that output is. They can then look far later on after that vendor may have churned a bunch of times and done who knows what. They could then go to an exchange and basically pull exchange records and say, aha, in this big tree of ring signatures for these, this one transaction, I see my controlled spend somewhere. Now that controlled spend probably will occur in other people's rings as well. But the question is, can they use that information to try to make some assumptions about who they think this person is, you know, now that they know their real name from the exchange? So part of the churn question is, is there a certain level of churn that means that, you know, you're about as equally likely to have these controlled poisoned outputs appearing in your history as, you know, some other random person or some illicit vendor. Makes sense. So, yes. But again, those are all heuristics, right? Just because you look at some transaction, you're like, aha, I see a bad thing in its past. There's no way to really tell if that bad thing happened because of some controlled spend or because you just happened to pick it for some random person's ring signature. Really, you get this point. all question of heuristics, right? It's like, so did Sering die? Yeah, I think he did. Yeah. Um, uh, it's it's uh, really what it comes down to is, as far as I'm concerned, the question is whether or not uh, churn is going to statistically stand out um, above and beyond like a normal transaction. So if we can arguably be concerned about somebody who's making controlled purchases, um, then uh, one might be... Uh, <sighs> legitimately concerned that in addition to being able to see your KYC or AML information uh, when you like try to cash out, um, in addition to that, it may also be clear that you're trying to hide your KYC and AML information, which would be just as dangerous as just cashing it out. Um, and so right now we're working on statistical models to try to look at the level of churn that stands out the least. And um, that's kind of like a um, kind of a hard problem. Um, it's one of those that uh, doesn't really have a good solution um, in terms of any solution we have in one direction is suboptimal in another direction. Um, and so as a consequence, we've been thinking about it for a while. And um, right now, it just seems like there might not be a good solution and analysis paralysis may just be what is setting in. So, yeah. And again, this all comes down to statistics, right? I mean, I think kind of the motto of Monero is you can't prove nothing. You know, if you have behavior that looks suspicious, but nothing can be proved about it, what does that get you or not get you? I don't know. I think that that's an entirely separate question from the cryptography. We're able to offer privacy guarantees within the confines of the mathematics we use. And what happens beyond that is, to some extent, out of our control entirely. That, that's up to courts and social constructs and stuff that exist within the society about what constitutes, well, this is provable enough under these given heuristics or something like that to be able to charge a person for something or whatever. Well, right. And, you know, you do completely, you know, legal things with your Monero. And if someone's throwing poisoned outputs in there to try to identify illicit vendors, yep. you end up pulling those inputs into your ring signature because that's just the way ring signatures work. I mean, does that make you look suspicious? I don't know. And any heuristic that law enforcement is trying to use to link you, you can just use to look unlinkable, <laughs> right? So like if, if they say, okay, well, if uh, this ring signature spends an output within two steps of the, two, two steps backwards in its history, let's link it. And then you're like, oh, okay, well, I'll always just make it three steps back. Um, and so pretty much what it comes down to is that uh, they, 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 the any three letter agency or whatever, they would need an enormous amount of evidence in addition to Monero blockchain and ever in order to ever nab somebody, um, in my opinion. Um, some people might disagree. I think Zuko disagrees. <laughs> and, and I think the ultimate takeaway from all of this entire conversation is for, for the lay people who, who may not be uh, getting all the, the nuance of, of this type of thing is that privacy is really, really hard. 
you know, there's so many people that will try to tell you, okay, you know, like we, we, we're, we're a one-stop shop for privacy. We've got, we've got everything, you know, if you use us, you're completely private. And there's just so many asterisks there. And the, the, the marketing elements of those cryptocurrencies or uh, uh, mixed net technologies, uh, they just want, they don't want to put those asterisks on there because then you have to kind of disclaimer everything. Well, but Tor Project does it like you have to change the way that you browse the internet to be private. And so there's so many asterisks and they are on Monero. So anybody watching who's thinking I'm using Monero because I need absolute privacy and absolute anonymity, Monero is not necessarily like just like Serang said, mathematically within the confines of the mathematics that we have defined, it will do what we have claimed it will do and nothing more. But that means that you have to know what are the confines of that mathematics? What have we defined? And you have to operate within those things to have those guarantees. Life is just way too up in the air to just say 100% this, 100% this, 100% this. It's never that way. It's never that way. And anyone who tries to sell you on something it being that way, they are an idiot. And you should never, ever listen to them. Privacy is very hard to get right. I mean, philosophically, should you break the law with these things? I think no, <laughs> but no. that's also another one of those kind of meta questions. <laughs> okay, so Michael said that he wanted to share some, uh, sorry, I need to find it. Yeah, he, he said he wanted to try and screen share uh, a rendition of the DEF CON badge. Uh, so Michael, do you want to try giving that a shot right now? Yeah, that's um, just for just even works now that I've got my microphone working why not um, so let me see if I can then gotta share the screen button um, whoops what oh no no I need a I I need an add-on for that <laughs> okay so we can't see the DEFCON badge but I did want to just mention that obviously we'll be at DEFCON there's a official village so we'll be in all of the catalogs and the print and the online and Suri and um, and Sarang I think one or both of you are, are coming and all of this um, of these topics bulletproofs and atomic or I mean not atomic, uh, multi-sigs um, you know people want to know these things so it would be great if you could um, do a, a CFP proposal or a call for presentations proposal that's all I have to say. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm planning on going and you know giving a talk on some of the privacy stuff we're doing and some of the directions that we're considering going. So hopefully that'll be interesting for people who want kind of a both an overview and kind of a more detailed technical understanding of, of our plans. Yep, I am going to also be coming and I am not bringing any of my devices, you sons of guns. <laughs> So I've, I've never gone before, but I've heard that apparently the number of, of apparent cell towers increases dramatically around the time of DEF CON. And that they're probably not legit cell towers, so. Maybe the Shadow Broker bought some uh, Stingrays or something. It'll be an interesting DEF CON. <laughs> I'm gonna bring a burner phone and then literally start it on fire at the end. Okay, does anyone have any last minute thoughts that they want to get out? It's been a little over an hour now. Hashtag Monero difference. You know it, you love it. It really sounds like you're trying to sell us a car of some kind. <laughs> Monero would be a really good name for a car. I smell an ICO coming, honestly. Initial car offering? Yeah, <laughs> initial car offering. I wonder how much money it would take to get Ferrari to do a Monero branded one-time vehicle. I bet the community would be willing to fund that. We just need to get like somebody to race in the Monaco Grand Prix in the Monero Ferrari. And so we need, we need one Ferrari set. and like four Monero stickers and then just... Don't we already have a car that's supposed to race with the Monero logo on top of it on some rally? We do. Seriously? Yeah, but isn't that like NASCAR or something? Like, we got to go with Ferrari. We got to go with like you know the most, the most fine. <laughs> no, this is this is uh, some German rally uh, circuit that uh, the owner of XMR uh, of Support XMR, who's uh, been around for a while, he is sponsoring this. Similar to how Ricardo did the sponsor of the sale. Uh, 
for the sale and sale for a little while ago. So, um, yeah, so uh, I, 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 so I got to get going. Yeah, I was about to wrap this up. Uh, thanks, everyone, for being here. I'm glad that everyone was able to get something in, get it, get it working for everyone. Um, and of course, if you want to learn more about Monero, get Monero.org. And if you want to participate in the community, you can join on our IRC channel, uh, Monero-Community. Um, you said badge is being displayed? Uh, oh, yeah. Is okay. It, so working now? Curious. Can you see the badge? Hmm. I'm, it's not really showing up on uh, YouTube, unfortunately. So I'll, I'll upload. I can up. Can you upload a a, a screenshot or something to injure and then put it in the chat on YouTube? Or is yeah, it's fine. I'll have plenty of things to upload and show. I was just curious if uh, you know this would be a if it would work on a live streaming environment. I guess it doesn't. Okay, so if you're talking while you're describing it, it will show up. Yeah, yeah. So just keep, just talking. keep talking, Michael. Just keep talking. Oh, okay. Yeah. I so probably what Jitsi does is that if the person who <clears throat> has a screen share is all thing, then the screen share works. So I guess I'll keep talking. Um, this is KeyCAD, and so it allows me to do a 3D rendition. And uh, what else can I do for it? And even change the. Um, I could, we'll make it black because that's going to be the final color of the badge. You can see the design in the middle of the graphic that um, um, Cinnamon Flower, I think is her name. She created that. And there's some buttons there. There's a, a light uh, side on the left, which basically flashes in a variety of different patterns, uh, animations on the bottom, uh, orange lights. I don't know why they're orange. And um, that was a joke. And then on the on the on the other side is a radio, so that's NFC, and it has a stored um, up to 64 kilobits of storage, two different uh, slots there, so you can do V cards or different keys, generic information. We've got the the lanyard slots at the top, and a battery on the back. A little bit more graphics, nothing really on the back. Yeah, so I don't want to take up too much time, but. Just a sneak preview. No, it looks awesome. I wish I could make it, but I have to work. Yeah, that looks amazing. I can't wait to put my private information on it. <laughs> All right, guys, I'll catch you later. I gotta go. Yep. Okay. Kisses. Uh, on that high note. Uh, thanks, thanks everyone for joining us. I'm going to end the live stream, but thanks again for joining us. Uh, again, I shared the info earlier, getmonero.org, and we'd love to see you around there. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>